Hey, and welcome to Hypnotize Me, the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. This is Dr. Elizabeth Bonet, and I'm your host. Disclaimer time! This podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment, nor should it be. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so if you'd like to learn more about me, you can do that at my website, drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. Now on to our episode. Before I get started on today's episode, I did want to talk about another podcast because I am part of Spreading the Podcast Love, which in the month of February, each week I talk about another podcast. This one is called The Addicted Mind, and it is so good. If you're interested in addiction at all, or if you're in recovery, it is an excellent, excellent podcast. I listen to it on an almost weekly basis. The host, Dwayne, knows his stuff. He's so educated around this topic and truly is an expert. And he has wonderful guests who give all kinds of perspectives. So this is not just a 12-step podcast like some of the addiction ones are. This covers all different aspects of addiction. So give it a listen. You can find it at theaddictedmind.com, or you can search it up on your podcast player. It's so, so good. I don't know where to start this week. It is February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day when I'm recording this. And there was a mass school shooting in my own community. So I live in Broward County, which is in South Florida, which is in the United States, which is on planet Earth. And I honestly cry every time there's a school shooting. I can't even think of Sandy Hook most of the time without crying. And this one was in my backyard. I don't know any of the kids or families personally, but I have friends who do. Now, I may lose some listeners this week talking about how sad this is, how sad it is all over the world, but I may not. I just have to speak my truth. It's sad all over the world. Mamas cry all over the world. And dads too, friends, family. I don't pretend to know what the answer is. I do know it's more complex than what I can come up with. I do know that. But I also do know that when we look at countries with stricter gun control laws, there's less shootings, period. I grew up in Texas, which for those of you who are not in the United States, is a very conservative state. When you think of Texas, you think of cowboys and guns, and it's absolutely a gun-toting state. I actually grew up with guns in the house and never thought twice about them. My dad was a minister and a pacifist, 
but he grew up in the country in Texas and the 40s and 50s, and he was born in the 30s. And you had guns, period. You had guns to hunt so that you could eat. He grew up during the Depression. He didn't have automatic rifles. And I do tend to think that that is part of this problem. I still have good friends in Texas. We talk about this. Some of them are gun owners, some of them are not. But even the gun owners agree, my friends, that no one should have access to automatic rifles. There's no need for it. And particularly during the adolescent years, when emotions feel so intense. I'm reading this really wonderful book about teenage girls called Untangled, Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood. It's by Lisa Damore. A wonderful book, by the way. That's already given me so many ideas. I highly, highly recommend it. I'm about halfway through it, but I already recommend it. But she talks about the brain development of teenagers and how they really do feel things more intensely. They really do. It's not just hormonal. Like we always joke about hormones in teenage years. It's actual brain stuff going on. And I think about this kid that did the school shooting. I think about all of them. The last year of graduate school, when you're getting a PhD in clinical psychology, is spent on internship, meaning you go and work a full-time job being a mental health counselor, being a therapist. And one of my supervisors that year had actually done the eval on the boy who's responsible for a school shooting that year in Springfield, Oregon. Happened on May 21st, 1998. And it was at Thurston High School, a 15-year-old, Kip Kingle. He killed two students and wounded 23 others. So he talked a lot about the process of what goes on, the family structure of a child who will do this. And then Carol Tuttle, who writes The Child Whisperer, also a really, really good book, probably one of my top parenting books. I know I'm I'm throwing some books out there this week. Talks about almost always it's a boy who does not feel respected, who does not feel loved, and decides to take this aggression out on others. I don't know anything about this kid's family. No information has really come in yet. I know this kid was expelled from school. That's about it. And I have to believe that there's a huge element of disrespect in that act. A huge element of, you're not worthy of being here. That gets communicated to children. And again, I don't understand this complex issue about how expulsion evolved in the United States school system. I really don't. I'm assuming that um, the base of that is safety, because I know a lot, a lot of teachers and some principals, some assistant principals in safety is always one of their top concerns. So I'm assuming that's it. But my point in saying that is that what would be different if we had a system that respected the student and got them help? And I'm not pretending that everyone can get help. Okay, let me just say that outright. There are some really 
really disturbed people in the world. There are some really disturbed families. I did family therapy for many, many, many years before I decided to focus more on individual therapy and adults. So I'm not assuming that everyone should like hold hands and sing Kumbaya and it's all going to be okay and send a therapist in there and they can fix everything. Not at all. That's not the case at all. Sometimes disturbance runs really deep and no one's going to fix that. I do know from reading a lot of near-death experiences, which I recommend to people who are interested in that and feeling really anxious. Like, honestly, maybe it's just me, but I can't pick up a book about near-death experiences and remain anxious. It always helps calm me down. And part of the messages that I read in those books is that even people who we see here on planet Earth as quote-unquote evil, as destructive, even they are in great, great pain and don't really know what to do about that, how to handle it. And the message there in almost all the books I've ever read on this, I've read a lot, okay, like it's probably approaching um, 50 to 100, is compassion. That's the message there, compassion for them. And again, this is probably where I'm going to lose some listeners that you could have compassion for a kid who would go out and do this or any person who went out and did this. But I tend to go to when they're babies and seeing them that way. And I have no idea what happened in their life that led them to that spot. But it has to be a spot of pain. Now I'm hearing the side of people who will say psychopaths don't feel pain, right? Like they don't have empathy and someone has to be a psychopath to do this. I don't believe they have to be a psychopath to do this. I do believe that there's a cutoff of empathy. And that is something I learned on my internship many, many years ago, that there's no empathy going on at that point when someone's taking that action or planning that action. They're self-centered. They are self-focused. They're focused on revenge, on making someone feel helpless. They're focused on feeling powerful themselves. So I'm not saying that they're in pain in the traditional sense. I think they are in a different state of mind than most of us walk around in, obviously. But I still come back myself to this place of compassion for them. Compassion, even if they don't have feelings, like how awful to not have feelings, how awful to not be able to access them, how awful to feel just disconnected, period, and move through this life this way. And I have worked with definitely narcissistic individuals in my practice and occasionally a sociopath or psychopath or whatever you want to call them will come through my practice and often we work on going through their life without creating harm. Hey, that's the primary goal when I work with them. And I state it outright. They almost always know that they're psychopaths. They almost always identify it themselves. And then there's a part of them that wants some help. There's a part of them that says, I don't really want to create destruction Please help me not do that. And so we go over it. We talk about it. How to create less harm in your life. How to move through life without hurting people the best you can. 
without having any feelings to guide that. And I consider that work just as important as my other clients. Now, what does this have to do with hypnosis this week? Not a whole lot, right? Just going to say that (laughs) this week is not about hypnosis on the podcast. If you want, you can go back and listen to the compassionate meditations. Um, They've aired twice and you can send that healing energy to families around the world who have lost their loved ones. There's wars all over the world going on. There's death all over the world going on. Talking about this one this week because it just touched my community yesterday, Valentine's Day. So I suggest doing that. That's episode six and 61. Both of those are compassion meditations. It's the same one. I just re-aired it because I was really sick one week. So I suggest listening to those and really working with that and sending healing energy to whoever you like, including yourself. It starts with us. It starts with tuning into ourselves, to our feelings, learning how to work with our own feelings, teaching our children how to do that as well, or teaching friends and working together as friends to figure out how not to act out on other people, right? How to contain our feelings and work through them ourselves without hurting others. That's the base of this. If you can teach a child that, and that's 20 years worth of work, 30, I would say, okay, as a parent, how to contain your feelings and not hurt other people with them. You still have them. You can validate those feelings as a parent. Yep, you're angry. Yep, you're sad. Yep, you're excited. And now, how do we handle those without putting them on other people? And that's a hard task in this day and age with social media and particularly for teens. This book talked about it a little bit. The book I talked about earlier in the episode, Untangled, how often teens will attack on social media, attack through text, like all this different things that go on instead of learning how to contain their feelings and have genuine connection and conversation with a friend that perhaps has hurt them. That's the task of being, when I work with borderlines, that's the task as well. So I would consider that a subspecialty of mine, working with borderline personality disordered people. And the urge of the borderline is generally to act out on others, to take those feelings out on others, to create chaos and havoc and so that they feel better. They feel like, oh, it's out there now. Now I can feel better. If I've hurt somebody else, or I've put it out there, or I've created this, or I don't know how to handle these feelings. So I'm just going to, you know, almost like create a storm here. I don't know what to do about them. Sometimes it goes to self-harm. I'm going to harm myself. And our task is to use the skills of dialectical behavior therapy and mindfulness and all kinds of disciplines that come together to figure out how to soothe the feelings to figure out how to sit with them and not take them out on other people, to not hurt those closest to us, our loved ones, to not seek revenge. And that is really, really difficult for people. Again, it takes 
worksheets and talking and working through situations and practice. And it's really difficult. That's why I'm saying this is lifelong work, lifelong work for people. But it's important. So if you stuck with me this far, one, I really appreciate it. And two, let's talk about emotional collapse because we're talking about how difficult it is to soothe those feelings, right? How it takes so much practice and skills and all these things go into it. And sometimes what happens is that someone has what's called an emotional collapse. This is a concept talked about in the book, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? for daughters of narcissistic mothers. So it's a common pairing that a daughter of a narcissistic mother will have borderline personality disorder. And there's all kinds of factors that go into that. And I'm not saying that's always the case. You sometimes have borderline people who have absolutely wonderful parents. Okay, so let me just say that. That's just as common. So I don't want to get into like mother blame and parent blame here. But I am saying that the struggle of a daughter of a narcissistic parent is real. And often it feels like these borderline qualities. And something that happens is called an emotional collapse. Now you don't have to be a borderline to have an emotional collapse. And it's this feeling like your world is imploding. Something happens, something triggers it. It may be something small. It may be something bigger. It's sometimes a feeling of betrayal by someone close to you. Or sometimes it'll come on when you feel invalidated by somebody else, whether that was intentional or not. Sometimes it's not intentional at all. The person's just saying something and the other person has this emotional collapse. Like it's like whoosh. It's like all the air is going out of a balloon. It's a very physical feeling actually of anxiety and panic. And sometimes the person feels a little dissociated. And in this book, the author Carol McBride talks about what to do about it. And I actually have a worksheet in my own practice where we talk about this, what to do if you have an emotional collapse so the instinct is to reach out for someone else to make it better. So it may be a partner, a friend, but when someone does that a lot, often that friend or partner will get exhausted and feel depleted themselves because it's difficult. Someone's calling them in a very emotional state and they have to talk them out of that really. So another way to work with it is using the, what I call the good enough quote unquote exercise. So you write down 10 things you would do if you felt good enough right in that moment. You can read it to someone who loves you. And finally, you can start doing those things. You can use art and collage to check in with your feelings. You can check in with your values. What do I value most? What makes me happy? What gives me a deep sense of fulfillment? What are my passions and talents? And can I go and do one of those things that makes me feel really good about myself? So that's another way to work with it. This is the third book I'm going to talk about <laughs> on this episode. I don't think I've ever bought one of these books before, but it's prompts. It's a prompt book. So it's 52 weeks and it gives you a prompt at the beginning of the week that says something like, let's 10 things that 
make you happy or let's, or list 10 things that you like to do for fun or make a list of people in your life that are important to you. You know, it's these whole different things throughout the year. And I thought, you know, I do these things from time to time, but it'll be really nice to have it all in one book. And the one I started with was make a list of times in my life when I've been the happiest. And so that's what I've been concentrating on this week, times in my life when I've been the happiest. And it's really interesting to look back and see some of those patterns. So many of them involve friends and family and movement. So then I can take that list and think, okay, if these are the times I've been happiest in my life, what can I do moving forward to make sure I'm creating happiness in my life? And that becomes a protection against depression, against anxiety, becomes a protective factor moving forward. Now, I know I started this episode talking about the school shooting, and I've ended it on a different note perhaps one that's more hopeful for people, perhaps an exercise that may help someone out there who's listening to this and struggling, perhaps someone who's going into emotional collapse. And what can you do about it other than take it out on somebody else? You know, that state of emotional collapse is often when people seek revenge, act out, do things that they're not happy about later, take it out on social media, That's often when it happens. So I encourage you to sit with that feeling and learn some different ways to work with that feeling and validate it for yourself as well. Validate like, oh, a part of me has been hurt. I need to take care of that part of me. So hopefully that helps someone out there who's also struggling. I'm going to wrap up for this week. Peace, people. And I mean that sincerely. All over the world. What can you do this week to create peace and compassion? I hope you truly enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis.